0: Uh, Just a few weeks ago, we started in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, and in a warning there to us, uh, the writer says, you must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what you have heard, so that we do not drift away. Now, you may need to know the context. The context there are some young Jewish Christians who the newness of being a Christian has worn out. It reminds me of that old John Mellencamp song, Jack and Diane. Anybody remember that? Anybody know for that? They say, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill is gone. And for these people, their spiritual life has gone on, but the thrill's gone. And they're getting discouraged, and they're tempted to to fall into sin. And so slowly but surely, this incredible word we've been looking at for weeks, drift, has happened. They started off so fired up for God, but by this point, a lot of things are happening that don't need to happen. They've ended up in a place they didn't want to be. Now, the answer to drift, go into the passage if you would, the answer to drift is to pay attention. It's to be at a focus on where you are, because with drifting, it's unintentional, and you end up being somewhere you didn't plan on being. The answer is to stop, pay attention, to see where you are. The Guys, for us, that's a real challenge because we've got so many distractions, it's hard to really pay attention. I mean, technology brings so many blessings, but it also brings some things that aren't always so good. Let's talk about an old technology, then we'll talk about a new one. Back in the late 1800s, Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. A lot of great things about that. But sleep was not one of them. Before the light bulb was invented, the average American got 11 hours of sleep a night. Can you believe that? Any of you ever got 11 hours of sleep? I mean, we've cut it down two and a half hours easily. Now, our day, you know, here's our distraction. This story shocks me now. The smartphone, the iPhone was developed and came out in 2007. It feels like we've had it forever. As people were talking about 9-11 yesterday, they didn't have smartphones. And now it's an appendage to our life and, and everything is centered around it. and it's a It's a great blessing. We can communicate better than we ever have. But it has not helped us with our attention issue, listen to this. The average American touches their phone 2,617 times a day. So we're just up and down, touching it all the time. Now, what has this done to us? Latest survey. With the phone being an appendage to our body, a smartphone is now cut our attention span down to 8 seconds. In fact, the last sentence I just said was eight seconds, and I've lost your attention because we're so distracted. There's so many different things coming at us that to actually stop and to listen and to go deep with something is hard. Linda Stone from Microsoft actually said, our problem is continuous partial attention is the new normal. Very few places do we go and have complete attention. In a great book called What the Internet is Doing to Our Brains, the author says, What the net seems to be doing is chipping away my capacity for concentration and contemplation. Now think about that as spiritual people. Concentration, contemplation are critical for us growing. And yet we live in a culture where technology is making that harder and harder. A Catholic theologian put it this way. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. What's he saying? We've got so many distractions. To be with God has got to be focused. There's got to be attention given. And yet it becomes harder and harder. So let me say this, guys. That's what makes what we are doing right now this morning so very important that you have given your time to come here for an hour, hour and 15 minutes and focus on what really counts. In fact, even back in Hebrews, when he's trying to give some checks of how you know if your attention is getting off Jesus, how you know if you're drifting, one of the number one checks of drifting is your church attendance. We we, we know how this goes. It's it's so simple. Some of us grew up going to church. We would say, quote-unquote, every time the doors were open. Uh, Then we came to a point where, you know, let's go on Sunday morning and be a part of Bible class and be a part of a, a worship service. And then we thought, you know, I don't really need to get up for Bible class. Let me just come to a worship service and and then, you know, company came one weekend, and I decided not to come. And then, you know, one weekend, I'm just sort of tired, and so I skip. And where well, I used to be there every Sunday, and now I'm there two times a week. And then the pandemic hit, you know, and, man, they even shut church down. And I got out of the habit. And then I started watching online. And at first, I was like, every Sunday online. And, and, and then before I recognized it, I figured out I can watch it any time of the day, which was cool. But then my day gets started, and before long, I don't watch it at all. And guys, let me just say this up front to just clear the air. What I'm saying today, I'm not saying to make anybody guilty. I'm not saying to make any of you that are online guilty about being online. If it's health issues that are keeping you home, my goodness, we honor that and we thank you for that. But what I do want to talk about is it seems to me that this moment where we need to have attention on God is slipping away from us. And and so we go out and we do everything else, and church is the first place to drop. All of a sudden, my youth sports take over my life. Or all of a sudden, what I want to watch, you know, on programs or, or going places and vacation. Before long, church seems to be, what the book of Hebrews says, one of the first things that you can drop. Now, why is that a big deal? He can tell us why. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. I want you to look at these verses starting in verse verse 19. Now, understand this. From chapter 1 to chapter 10, verse 18, the writer of Hebrews has spent that whole time saying, Okay, guys, Jesus is number one. There's no angel, there's no teacher like Moses, there's no philosophy of life, there ain't nobody or nothing that compares to Jesus. In fact, what he's trying to say is, he deserves your careful attention. That's why he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now, that gets us to chapter 18. We're about to see the writer go from teaching to preaching. There's a difference, all right? He's going from theology to say, okay, in view of this, here's what your behavior ought to be. So let's go there, and let's look closely. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest, over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from our guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure blood. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us Consider how we may spur one another on toward loving good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the author is very explicit here, and he's saying two things, very straightforward. First of all, he's saying to pay attention, you've got to stop skipping church. And many of us grew up on this passage, and it does say that. Some of you guys are getting in trouble because you're drifting from that normal attendance at church. He's saying that. But don't dare only hear that. He's not simply only saying, stop skipping church. He's also saying, when you get there, start doing church. You see, listen very closely to me. It is not God's goal for you to plop your your bottom, on that pew for an hour and, sorry, an hour and 15 minutes. That's not his goal. I mean, he does want you to be here. He says that, and he wants you to get here, but that's not his whole goal. His whole goal is when you get here, something amazing should happen. And this guy's such a good preacher, he's given us four points. He's opened up every point with two words, let us, let us, let us, let us. Now, what are the things he's going to say? What do we do together when we get here? Number one, he says, let us draw near to God. Here's the really cool thing the book of Hebrews has said. Jesus has opened a new and living way to God. He's saying we can encounter God just like the high priest did. There's no barriers between us and God. There's no curtain. There's no once a year time to go in and be scared to death of God because of the grace of Jesus. The curtain's been torn in two, and we can encounter God. You say, okay, buddy, that's cool, but I don't have to come to church to encounter God. And I say, amen. That's true. And I believe what Romans 12 teaches, that all of life is worship. That's true. But I also believe there is something special about our encounter with God when we are the church. You know what the word church means? It means assembly. It means gathering. That God meets us here in a special place. I like what an author named James Thompson said about this. All of life is worship. We know, but we know quite well There's no chance of all of life being worshipped unless we have a time where we worship and we worship only. See, this is that devoted time. Where in a very special way, we encounter God together. He didn't say, let you. He didn't say, let me. He said, let us. Number two, he says, let us hold tightly to hope. He said earlier in the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, that hope is the anchor of our soul. Now, biblical hope is more than just hoping something. It's a confident expectation that God is who the writer said he is faithful. He's firm. He's secure. So he says, you need to hold tightly to that. And my friends, this is what we do here. He said, when we come together, we profess we confess. You see, one of the greatest moments of your life is when you confessed before your baptism that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What you were saying there is that is the foundation. That's the firm foundation that I'm building my life on. But here's what the Bible teaches. A one-time confession is not enough. We meet every Sunday to say, as you sang a moment ago, Jesus is the hope of the nations. Jesus is the rock on whom we stand. And so, in this crazy world we live in, we need this place where we come together and we confess together that our hope is not in the economy, it's not in politics, it's not in any of the craziness around us, it is in Jesus Christ. And then third point, let us stir each other up. Now, I love this part. When we get here, one purpose of assembly is vertical. The other purpose is horizontal. It's that we are here to stir each other up. Now, there's all kinds of different translations of that. Some translations say you meet to motivate each other. I love that. Guys, this ought to be a, a big pep rally. You know, where we're, we're motivated about going out and living for Jesus. Some translations actually use the word provoke. Some say um, that we spur. I like that. It, that, that there's encouragement there, but there's, there's like riding a horse, you know, where you're spurring, spurring the horse on. And he says, when we meet here, we spur each other on. And then my favorite word here is that we stir. You know, we, we, sometimes we say in a negative light, That guy's just trying to stir some things up. The writer of Hebrews says, my goodness, in a positive light, I need you guys here in this church. I need you guys to stir something up. I need, before we leave here, that we're stirred up. And you know what he says we're stirred up about? Before we leave, he says you are stirred up about love. You're going to go out and you're going to love better because you are here. You're stirred up about good deeds. You're going to go serve more people because we spent some time, not just worshiping God, we actually spent a little time stirring each other up. I, I remember when I was growing up, there was a preacher. He was my favorite preacher. Um, and, he, and he would come to our church. His name was Alan Bryant. And we'd just, you know, we, you know, we were a church of about 200. He'd come, and it was over, there'd be 500 people there. We were one of those churches where nobody ever showed up on the front row. I can remember one week, 70 people showed up on the front row. I mean, this dude, he would provoke us. He would make fun of us. He would stir us. But, man, you left motivated. And so you know what people called Alan Bryant? They called him the spoon of the brotherhood because that's what he did. He just went into churches, and he stirred them up. And my friends, what we need in this church are some people to stir us up. Some people that aren't okay with complacency, that aren't okay with you and me just living our life the way we live our life. But to come in here and say, you know what? We, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can actually be like Jesus. I experienced that Wednesday night. One of our groups on Wednesday night and one of our shepherds, Tom Harbin, was sharing that group. And he just said up front at the beginning of class, I, I, I'm here to shake you guys up tonight. He didn't use this word, but I'll use this word. He said, I'm, I'm probably going to tick some of you off. He used the worst word. And he's just, he just like, this is going to, th- yes, Tom, you agree? I'm, we're we're going to be stirred up in this place tonight. And he asked us some tough questions that we don't think about much. He said, do you believe in heaven and hell? Do you really believe everybody's going to heaven or hell? And then he said this, made us really uncomfortable. How many lost people have you walked past today? I needed that. We needed that. Because that's, that's why we're here. If you're here just to say the same old you, you're in the wrong place. And if you're here not to help people be stirred up, then you're missing out on the purpose that God has given you to be here. Now, the end of that story was that Tom was stirred up because he had a friend in Tennessee named Tony, who he had known for years, who's dying from COVID. And so Tom had began to communicate with Tony and he got his courage up and he began to text and he began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yesterday, Tom and Sue went to Tennessee where Tom conducted the funeral for Tony, who's now a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, that's what we need to be stirred up about, and that's why we meet. So in view of... This is a moment where we're drawn closer to God, where we hold fast to our faith, where we stir each other up. His last let us is the point of our message. Let us not neglect meeting. You say, well, I don't want to go to church just to go to church. I don't want you to. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you understood that this is a place where you touch God in a special way, if you understood that this is the place in your life that's so tempted, where you hold firm to what's true, if you understood these are the people who are here to encourage you, to build you up, because we know Jesus is coming back, how could we miss if we actually believe that? So I going to challenge you just a moment here. I'm going to give you 10 practical challenges. If you have a, an outline, you'll see there's spaces on the outline for you to write three, because I'm giving a lot. But I'd like you as I'm going through this, either on your outline or in your mind, to think of two or three things that you could do to improve your worship experience and literally improve our worship experience. Number one, prepare your heart. Because I think we, we think... I can be busy with life all over the place, walk in those doors, flip a switch, and worship God. It doesn't happen that way, honestly. It doesn't for me. I need to spend some time on Saturday night praying about it. I need to wake up up Sunday morning thinking about what's going to happen in this place and what my role is. Prepare your heart. Here's something pretty nice. Get some good sleep. Wouldn't that be nice? I see some of you dozing off already. Get you some good sleep. It'll make this better. Now, here's one of the most practical things I ever heard someone say about worship. And take it the way I'm going to say it. Lay out your clothes the night before. You know, how many of us are Sunday mornings just sort of, they are a challenge. And we're rushing around and running late and getting mad at each other. I'm going to tell you, I heard that years ago. I lay out every part of my clothes. I lay out my cereal bowl. I lay out my coffee cup. I've got my pod beside it, my sweetener, my creamer, I've got my soap put in the right place in the shower. I want everything to be so when I'm getting up Sunday morning, there's nothing to distract me from being here and being fully engaged. And I'm telling you, it changes things. Do that. Now let me while I'm getting radical here, let's get really radical. Okay, you ready? You ready? Y'all don't look ready. Say, I'm ready. ready. Be early. Whoa, my goodness. Okay, we're going to preaching now. I originally was going to put here, be on time. But that's not the goal. The goal is not for you just to come in here and plop down and be on time. The goal is for you to get here and engage some people. The goal is for you to be with some people that are new. The goal is for you to encourage somebody. The goal is us for to get here in time that we stirred each other up before the worship ever t- starts. Now, guys, listen to me. I'm, I'm being serious about this. There is a flow to our worship. Jeremy works really hard. Every song and what you sing counts. Every song is tied to the message. Every song is tied to where we're going for communion. You may not notice it because you're in too big a hurry. But if you would slow down and you would get here on time or get here a little bit early, see guys, some of you, you're missing 10, 15 minutes of worship and you expect it to be meaningful. No. No, be here. Be engaged. Notice the flow. Notice the words. Actually worship. And guys, when you do that, I'm going to tell you, you don't walk away from here and go, you know, nothing happened. You missed the flow. And if I can be brazenly straightforward with you, you disrupt other people's worship. Guys, let me just say this while we're just being honest with the family. We are 10 times worse about being here on time since the pandemic. I mean, when I used to get up here 30 seconds before, I stopped because it just broke my heart when I would get up here 30 seconds before. Guys, there would not be a third of you here. And then when I get up to preach, I'd look out and see this. I go, whoa, that's cool. I'm encouraged by that. Guys, if we believe what God says about what happens here and we want it to happen in our hearts, it's going to happen when we put ourselves into it. Number five, be creative in encouraging others. That's what he says here in Hebrews chapter 10. He said, let's consider. Think about it. One translation literally says, be creative about how you encourage other people. How are you going to greet people? How are you going to speak to people? How are you going to speak life into people? What could you say that would bring someone closer to Christ? Someone more fired up about walking out of here and living for Jesus. Now I hear a lot of you say this. I can't do that. And let me see, I'm not asking you to be like me. I can talk to 100 people Sunday. But some of you say, I can't even get out of the aisle and walk across and talk to somebody new. Can I ask you a question? What in the world do you do at work? I mean, mean, seriously, do do you just stay in your cubicle in your office and never interact with somebody? Never say, you know, I've got to walk to this office over here. I've got to make this phone call. I've got to talk to this person. Oh, here's someone new to our office. I need to to welcome them to our office. No, we we all do that, my friends. I mean, here's what I'm saying to you very bluntly today. We will do that for a dollar bill that doesn't really matter. But the question is, will we do it about things that matter? People are counting on you. They're counting on me to be the people who come in here and shake people up, encourage people so they can leave here and live for Jesus. Amen? First service was clapping at this moment. Would y'all please do that? <laughs> Man, that was really half-hearted. Okay. Uh, number six, take notes. Guys, guys, we don't learn quickly, guys. And when you engage in taking notes, whether it's on your phone or whether it's on the piece of paper and you got something to look at, participate in what's going on, guys. If you come here like a lump on a log and you don't sing and you don't really focus on the prayer and you don't really engage with the message and your mind's everywhere else during communion, do you really expect you'll get anything out of it? You'll get what you put out of it. Number eight, here's the the challenge. Pay attention. Now let me just say this. If you can't handle this phone, seriously, seriously, for some of it's way too much temptation. i am be like a child. Leave it in your car. And there's a radical new thing that I can introduce you to. It's called a Bible. It's pretty really cool, man. It's got all the words of Scripture right here in front of you, you know. You can just look at it without distractions, without all those notices popping up on your phone. If you can't handle it, just get, get, stop it. Number nine, attend a life group. You know, that's our life group plan is that whatever we talk about on Sunday morning is what you go and apply on Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday night, whenever you meet. And I think it's a dynamic plan because I'm telling you guys, I preach this thing and I don't always apply it. You listen to it and you need that moment where you go, okay, I've heard this. This is the conviction of scripture. How about it? What are those 10 things am I gonna start doing? And number 10, here's the big one. Make a long-term decision to be at church. If you don't know, you're going to be at church every Sunday. I can tell you where you're going to be. If every Sunday you've got to wake up and decide whether you're coming or not, there's always going to be an excuse. There's always going to be a reason. Satan's always going to throw something fun for you to do, something different for you to do. Now, guys, you say, buddy, there are exceptions. Yes, there are exceptions. I believe there are exceptions. But listen to me. They are exceptions. So just, hey, for your family, best thing you could do is say, guys, don't think there's going to be a debate Sunday morning on what we're doing because this is too important. Now, next Sunday, we're going to celebrate this. Next Sunday, we have Back to Church Sunday. It's a great chance after all that's been going on for us to come back to church together and for us to to really do these things. And, guys, I want to encourage you. We all know someone who, since the pandemic, has gotten out of the habits. They're not bad people. He was distracted. That's what the writer would say. And guys, that'd be one thing for me or the elders to call him or another staff people. They expect that. But for you as a friend to say, hey, I've been missing you and let me just go ahead and confess to you, I've been late, but let's go on time together. It'd be an awesome thing. So we're going to move now into communion. You say, how are you going to move into communion? Here's what I'm asking you to do during communion today, guys. I'm asking you to look back over these verses we've studied and to contemplate, meditate on, is this really what you and I are doing on Sunday mornings? I've been doing this so long, guys, I can check the box off. You say, that's not what communion's about, buddy. Communion's about me focusing on God. That's part of it. But that's a false teaching. That's all of it. Communion is about your relationship with God, and the reason we take it together is because it's about our relationship with each other. Let me, let me show you a couple passages. To, well, one passage, 1 Corinthians. In the book of 1 Corinthians, they're neglecting each other. The rich people meet, and they, they're in this corner having their own meal, their own communion. Poor people over here might not have anything, and the, the church is, is divided, and they've forgotten The gospel and that the gospel doesn't divide people it brings people together and listen to what paul says in first corinthians chapter 11 verse 29 for those who eat and drink without recognizing the body of christ eat and drink judgment on themselves you say oh buddy no no you're wrong there the body of christ there is the body of jesus no guys in context He's saying what's messing your assemblies up is this thing has become a private affair and not a family gathering. You're not thinking about the body, the family you're a part of. You're just thinking about yourself. Look at another translation, the same verse. If you fail to understand that you, that's y'all, are the body of the Lord, You will condemn yourselves by the way you eat and drink. That's a big part of what we're about to do, is to remember Jesus. Another part is to remember he has put us in a family. And to evaluate like he's telling the Corinthians, how's your relationships in the family? If everybody attended the way you are, how many people would be here? If everybody encouraged people this morning the way you're going to encourage people, who would be encouraged? If everyone stirred each other up the way you stir, how many folks will leave here motivated? So evaluate what we've looked at in light of the incredible grace of God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for this book that reminds us that Jesus is number one. And we thank you for this opportunity, God, that we have to partake of the body and blood of Jesus, and that we also have to remember that we're a part of his body, that we are Jesus for our world today, that this is not a moment of my bubble time with God, but it's our time for us to partake together, remembering that we're all connected by Jesus. I pray in his name, amen. I hope you noticed the words of that song. You made the way. That's the exact thing Hebrews is saying. You opened up the way to God. I want to share with you what I think is one of the coolest passages in all the Bibles. Is in Hebrews chapter 12. And Hebrews chapter 12 is where we have the most detailed description of what happens in a worship service. And it may surprise you what he says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. He makes a contrast between the old law and going to Mount Sinai and us going to heaven together and worship Mount Zion. Listen, this is how bad it was before Jesus. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. That's not us. This is us. This is what we've been doing this last hour. But you have come to Mount Zion. The words there for come are the exact words of a high priest going into the Holy of Holies. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands and thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. Did you hear all those things? You see, often we come to worship and, and we just see what we see. We live in a world that tricks us to believing the only real things are what we can see. In fact, sometimes we tell this awful prayer at the end of a worship service, Lord, bless us as we enter the real world. My friends, I'm here to tell you today that this is the real world. Now, what does he say we encounter? You won't even have time to take notes on all this. We encounter in this assembly the living God, the sprinkled blood of Jesus. We encounter departed Christians, some of the people you love the most, who are now in heaven. Are worshiping with us right now. You encounter thousands of thousands of angels. Look closely. The rafters are full. You encounter. The worldwide fellowship of believers. You encounter heaven. Because this is one of the places on earth. Where heaven and earth collide. Where they touch. This is the real world. And guys. We need this so badly because our world is falling apart. And God knew this. Look at the last couple of verses of the chapter. Therefore, we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. In the verses I skipped, he talks about how God periodically speaks and shakes the earth. Guys, we live in a world today, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like everything is being shaken to its roots, where things we assumed are not assumed. Things we thought everybody believed are not believed. And it's crazy, and it's shaken, but it's in worship. Well, we remember the things that cannot be shaken. Or well, we remember and we celebrate together that we are part of the kingdom that cannot be shaken. How about your world right now? What's shaking you up at work, in your family, in your city, in your country? That's why this is so important, because here's what we understand and see the things that aren't shaken. I don't know how many of you watched some of yesterday and the remembrances of 9 11. I got to watch some of it early in the morning. And it was so touching to remember what happened 20 years ago in 2001. So hard to believe it was just 20 years ago. Our nation was shook to the foundation. But what I really want to remember this weekend is not 9 11. I want to remember and celebrate nine twelve because on the day after 9-11, we woke up as a nation and we were united. We were one big community. It did not matter your political party. It did not matter your race. It did not mat- matter your region of the country for at least a few days. Everybody stood together. But over the last 20 years, we have seen that a common enemy is not enough to keep us united. That just having a common enemy over the last decades, our culture is frayed, our community and sense of oneness is on the brink of extinction. And I'm convinced today that the only kind of unity that will endure is not simply when we have a common enemy, but when we have a common Savior. That's the kingdom that can't be shaken. And that's what makes Sunday special. Because it's on Sundays the day where at least we slow down we stop and we recognize what's real and we confess what we actually believe and we come together as one and we leave here motivated to carry out this mission. So I asked you this morning as we close this series and we close this moment have you been drifting? I doubt you made a choice to drift. I doubt you said, I want to start skip, skipping church, I want to start going back into sin. I want to get my priorities wrong. I just want to you know I just you didn't mean to you just you just weren't paying attention. I mean my goodness there's so many distractions all around us that it 's hard to pay attention to your soul. my guys, guys, guys that is the price we're paying our shrivelled souls because of low attention, and you didn't mean it. And there's so many distractions right now to get upset about and get mad about. And before long, you've drifted, and today you find yourself in a place you never dreamed you'd be. You'd never dreamed you would ever skip church this much. You never dreamed that you'd be this lukewarm. You never dreamed what this pandemic would do to you. And yet you find yourself here. Here's the good news that's why this book is written. You don't have to stay here. Pay attention. Surrender your life today to the things that cannot be shaken. Do that right now while we stand and sing.